Early in my ministry, about 17 or maybe 18 years ago, a couple approached me and asked if I would baptize their baby during the Christmas Eve worship service. And this family, were, they were not part of the church I was serving. They were not part of any church as far as I could tell. And I was actually their second choice to do the baptism. They, they'd already seen another minister uh, in another church in town and, uh, and asked him the same question if he would do the baptism on the Christmas Eve during the Christmas Eve worship service. And as you may know, different ministers, different church traditions have different theologies, different values, different practices around baptism. Some, some ministers are like, yeah, I'll baptize you anytime, anywhere, right now. How about it? Look, there's a puddle. Let's get it done. You've been baptized 15 times. What's one more? Let's do it. And other ministers, other traditions, you know, have a few more, a little more structure, a little more expectations, you know, want to make sure that the person understands what baptism is all about, what they're committing themselves to do, that this is about the lifelong way of following Jesus. And particularly if it's a baby, it's as much about the parents pledging to raise the child in the church so that one day they can understand and affirm their baptism for themselves because it was done at a time when they didn't have a whole lot of say in the matter. And so, um, you know, this was, there's a whole range of different ideas about what, what makes baptism real and, and how to do it. Well, I don't know the other pastor's theology and, and what his sort of approach to baptism was, but I do know that he said no. He turned them down. He said, no, I can't possibly do the baptism of the child during the Christmas Eve service. I mean, it's a very full service. It's already arranged. Uh, you know, we've got music and scriptures. We've got silent night and candlelight and the whole thing. We just, I could do it before the service. I could do it after the service. I could do it on the next Sunday, but not during the Christmas Eve service. Well, that was not what this couple wanted to hear. And that's how they ended up in my office. And I realized that I had a choice in that moment. I could, A, uh, present myself, position myself as the hero of inclusivity and welcome in contrast to this other pastor who was obviously a stick in the mud. Or, B, I could sort of empathize with that minister and talk about the various practices and approaches to baptism while also offering to help and do their baptism on Christmas Eve. I chose option B. Now, I share that story because the passage before us today that Haley and Dallas just read is also about uh, a religious person getting their shorts a little bit in a knot about something that wasn't supposed to happen on a particular day or on a particular occasion. This occasion, it's Jesus healing somebody on the Sabbath. Now, before we go any further into this text, we have to acknowledge something really important. And that is that in the Bible, whenever disability comes up, it's almost never put in a positive light. In fact, quite the opposite. In the Bible, over and over again, I, it might be every time, I haven't done an exhaustive study, but I'm comfortable saying most of the time, disability or an illness or something, it's always presented as spirit possession or the result of what somebody's parents did or grandparents did. 
And, and I think we just need to acknowledge that and acknowledge the harm that has been caused in the name of that. And that, you know, I, I don't see uh, a whole lot of evidence that we've completely moved beyond that kind of demonization and marginalization of people with disabilities. And a lot of that can be traced to the way it's presented in scripture. And I think we just need to be honest and, and real about that. Something else that happens, in addition to uh, disability being aligned with bondage or a person being in bondage, well, that's not great news and we can interrogate that. But the flip side is more positive that healing is a community transformation in as much as it is a personal and an individual one that was also inseparable. Something else that happens whenever Jesus heals somebody in scripture, it kind of causes a ruckus. There's, there's some complications that come up, that people get upset. They're, the person's life who gets, who's healed gets more complicated, things get more complicated for Jesus. I sort of wonder if whenever there was an opportunity to heal, Jesus sort of went, okay, here we go again, and braced himself for a whole lot of fallout. When we have medical procedures today, sometimes there's complications in the procedure, sometimes there's complications after the procedure. For Dr. Jesus, there were always complications after the procedure, usually because a professional religious person, someone like me, had something to say when Jesus healed somebody, especially when it happened on the Sabbath. Now, why did this Pharisee take exception to this healing happening on the Sabbath? Like, what is that all about? Well, remember, the Sabbath was a gift of God to a formerly enslaved people who never had a day off while they were enslaved. And after they are liberated through Moses, the first thing they are gifted with is a day off, one day off a week. And thousands of years later, in the time of Jesus, the Pharisees, the teachers are trying to protect that wonderful gift that God has given the people. And wondering why Jesus is doing this work of healing on this important day when we're supposed to just be honoring God. Don't disrespect God by doing any work on this day of liberation and blessing and healing. And, and Jesus, had, he saw it differently. He had a different perspective. He said, well, exactly. The, the Sabbath, it's all about liberation and being freed from bondage. This is the perfect time to free this person from the bondage of her ailment, from her uh, struggle, her physical challenge. This is, the, this is the perfect Sabbath activity to be doing in this very moment. There is no better time for this than on this day. Jesus is like that friend you may have who, you know, when things are really bleak and we're thinking, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Why is this happening? The timing is awful. And then there's that friend that comes in and says, no, this is actually the perfect time. There's a great opportunity here. I sometimes hear this or think this about, as people talk about the church today, there's concern that the church is shrinking and some churches are dying and closing. Meanwhile, we've got this rise of Christian nationalism, which is just crazy and extremely dangerous. And while there's a lot to be concerned about, I actually think this is the best time. This is the perfect time to be doing church because we have this wonderful opportunity to uh, 
create and experience and broadcast a completely different experience of what it means to follow Jesus than most people in our culture are getting right now, whether it's the uh, very dangerous Christian nationalism or the more benign cultural expectation that we've had for generations that, you know, going to church, going to synagogue is just part of being an American, right? You, you, uh, you mow your lawn, you pay your taxes, you go to worship. That's what it means to be an American. Well, that's radically changing now. And thank God that we now have this opportunity to help reshape, maybe in a more authentic way, what it means to be a community centered on Jesus that doesn't have anything to do with any of that stuff. In addition to healing this woman, Jesus is also revealing something really powerful and important. He's revealing who's really bent out of shape, who really needs healing and transformation. Not so much this woman, but the religious leader and the religious uh, institution, basically asking a deeper question of what is the purpose of religion? Why do we have religion? It, does religion, is it there to liberate and free, or is it there to put us in bondage and, and to marginalize others who are not like us? Is religion there to liberate, or is it there to put people in bondage? Which was obviously an important question back then, because that's the very question Jesus is raising, and it's an important question even now in our time. My guess is, if after worship and after the anti-bias training, you went out to the belt line and you asked a hundred people, hey, what are the words that come to mind when you hear the word religion? My guess is that words like liberation and freedom and blessing and grace would probably not float to the top in most people's minds, right? And that was outrageous and grievous to Jesus as it should really bother us as well. And even more sad, many of the guardians of religion believe that they are representing Jesus when they're doing the exact opposite of what religion was established to do. Religion established to liberate and to free, well, many who use religion in a very opposite, very harmful, very detrimental way. Many of us in this church have very personal experience with being in a faith community somewhere that was hurtful, either to ourselves or to others and people that we love, and caused harm and caused damage, was the exact opposite of what religion and spirituality and faith community was set up to do and to be. And the amazing thing for me is not that, you know, people who've experienced church hurt back away from the church, maybe altogether and forever, or even back away from God. I mean, that, that's completely understandable and, and makes a lot of sense to me anyway. What is amazing to me is that many people who've experienced church hurt don't give up on the church and, and have this intuitive sense that that experience was, was wrong and completely opposite and I want to be about something better and surely there's a faith community out there that represents God in a way that I know deep in my heart and surely I'm not alone and they kept searching and found a community I hope and pray where they can be fully embraced and, and no longer at risk. Many of the 
members you just saw, several of them have that kind of experience in their background, as I know many of you have in theirs. And thank God they found a place, an imperfect one, but one that is striving to be about healing and liberation and grace for them and for all people. I don't know if I'll ever be asked to do a baptism of a baby again during the Christmas Eve worship service. But I hope that when that happens, if that happens, I will say, you know what? Baptizing a baby during the Christmas Eve service, that is the perfect time for a baptism and to bless a baby because Christmas Eve is all about a blessed baby. Thank you for making that real and lived and manifested again for us in this community. You are so welcome here. Amen. Ashe. Namaste.